And uh, I've had my revival meeting. I've had my wife with me this week. It's been a blessing. She doesn't get to go with me as much as she used to, which she may like, but I don't. And uh, y'all, I think, would rather her be here than me. The way you've treated her this week has been unbelievable. I'm like, I think if I'd have just sent you up here, they would have been just fine. But um, she doesn't preach, at least not in the pulpit. And so I guess you had to have me to come along. But your kindness and the warmth has always been exemplary here. The hospitality is just absolutely phenomenal. Just the feeling of when we get here, uh, how you treat us, and we sure do appreciate it. And uh, I don't take it for granted. I certainly don't think I deserve it, but I really do appreciate it. It is good to have good friends. Your pastor is a dear friend of mine and, uh, and a loyal and a faithful friend, and I'm grateful for that. I'm positive because of that. At times, it's probably cost him some, but uh, I appreciate his faithfulness very much and appreciate his wife and your kindness. I want to try to change gears, hopefully from last night. It's kind of a little bit of a, of a depressing kind of a meeting that we had last night. Nonetheless, I felt like something that we needed to deal with. Now tonight, I'd like for you to take your Bible and come to Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20. Would you like to stand in just a few moments, maybe let read a couple of passages here. And if you'll be so kind as to give me a, a little bit of time, it takes a little bit of time to set up where we're headed with this. You know, I've, I've had the privilege in my lifetime of experiencing another, a number of things. But I've also missed some things. And as a result, there are certain things that I missed that I wished I could have been a part of or I wish I could have had a, the ability to take advantage of. But for whatever reason, I wasn't able to do that. But there are certain things that I don't want to miss. And there are certain things that I don't want to do. I think one of the reasons that we miss goals nowadays is because we never set any. When it comes to the Christian life, we get this idea, this mindset, this mentality that says, you know, well, we don't want to be unspiritual and we don't want to try to, in a sense, either commercialize it or humanize it or carnalize the, the Christian life. So we set no goals at all for those things. And whenever you set no goals, then you're not aiming at anything and you're certain to hit nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting an idea of where it is that you want to go. Paul said, I press toward the mark and the high calling of God. Paul said uh, that he would be able to, to be sure that he hit that mark. He fights not as one that beateth the air. He wants the blows to land. Later in the book of Titus, he says, We look to the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. I remember the years of riding a motorcycle with the sheriff's office, and one of our instructors would teach us it's all about head and eyes, and wherever you look, is where you wind up. And if you look down, you go down. And I think too often we spend too much time on the carnal planes of life and all we do is look at what's going to happen here and now and, and tomorrow as opposed to looking at what's going to happen in the hereafter. There's a judgment that's coming here that first of all, if you're not saved, you're going to be at this one and it's not going to be a pretty picture for you. If you are saved, you will have already gone through the judgment seat of Christ you would have already seen the battle of Armageddon. You would have already had the marriage supper of the Lamb. You would have already seen the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And then you would have also seen the battle of Gog and Magog. By the way, just a little added note there, uh, you're not seeing the battle of Gog and Magog now. Uh, these preachers that are getting in the pulpit and telling you it's Gog and Magog and they're coming together and all that. No, Gog and Magog doesn't happen until the end of the millennium. So do you see Armageddon, when does that happen? Well, it happens after the rapture, so you don't have to worry about that either. When's the mark of the beast come? After the rapture, so you don't have to worry about that either. So if you got a driver's license, social security, or you took the vax or whatever, don't worry, you don't have the mark of the beast. You might act like it. I know sometimes I've seen some of your kids, you've been looking in their hairline to see if there's a 666 in there somewhere because you're thinking, that can't be my kid. But at any rate, you don't have to worry about that. But this is a place that everybody's going to be, since Adam has going to been here, is going to be here humans, and angels are going to be at this judgment also. Revelation chapter 20, then we'll pray and try our best to give you a little something. The Bible says in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no place found for them. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Brother Ben, you pray and ask the Lord to help us, would you please? such a blessing and Lord I just pray that you be the preacher tonight the words that we all need to hear I pray that you bless the preaching I pray that you let it settle in all of our hearts deep at its center and Lord I pray that you just be with us all tonight please be with the preaching in Jesus name praying Amen. Thank you as you're being seated. Turn, if you will, please, to 2 Timothy. If I seem loud to y'all, just tell me and I'll tell them to turn it down. I can't hear whether or not I'm, I'm too loud, maybe for the front of you, but just wave at me. I, I normally, many of you know me to some degree anyway, and I naturally am somewhat loud, especially when I'm preaching. I'm not trying to overdrive it or to make a point. You'll know when I try to do that, I'm, I just am naturally this way. I think in the last days that people all of a sudden are seeing the wars, the rumors of wars. They're seeing the things that are happening in reference to famine and pestilence and all that. I read an article today. I just had a few moments. I scanned over a couple of things real quickly and I saw that these individuals are saying we're certainly now firmly planted in the midst of the book of Revelation and we're seeing the Re book of Revelation unfold before our eyes and all that. And I'm thinking, wow, this is heaven. I'm thinking, wow, I'm sitting here in the living room, little thing here, and I'm just reading my Bible. And I'm thinking, well, if this is heaven, what a drag, man. Because, you know, I still got things hurting and I still got, you know, I don't know about you. I'd like to look different in heaven. I really, see, y'all are like, no, I'm, I'm good. Well, yeah, hey, all Mr. Buff, that'll go away in time. You just let age catch up with you. And, you know, the hairline will move back and the belly will move out. And then you'll be able to, you know, the, we went through the toe deal already and that kind of thing. And the Coke bottle goes away, looks like a mayonnaise jar. That's part of life and those kind of things. Don't tell me you want to look like you look right now in heaven and feel like you feel when you get up there. No glasses in heaven, no choppers in heaven. Uh, won't that be a blessing? No, you know, bump your skin on something. The next thing you know, you got a big giant bruise on there. Kids walk up to you and they're like, oh, you're old. You smell funny, you know, that kind of a thing. It happens, it's dead skin, you're dying. You know, it's like, I'm the walking dead, don't you know? And you're 67, yeah, can't you die from that? Yeah, he's got 67, he's dying, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm listening to these guys and they're all in Matthew 24 and they're telling you these things that are happening and unrolling as if we are in the tribulation period and that this is what's happening. Yet the Bible clearly teaches us in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 that in the last days before the rapture there's going to be perilous times. And it's interesting that in the perilous times he has all of the perilous times that have to do with people, not nations. It's interesting that it's not a worldwide thing. It has to do with individuals. Look in 2 Timothy 3. We won't read the whole thing. This know also the last day's perilous times shall come. Wow, what a blessing. The Lord didn't lie to us. You say, what happens when the perilous times comes? It means it's the last days. That should make you happy. You know, I mean, I really, I'll be fine with me if the Lord were to say, hey, this is going to get bad and it's going to go from bad to worse. Good, I hope this is the last worse and we get out of here. The sooner for me, the better. You say, well, I still got a lot of life to live. Well, then you got your eyes in the wrong place. And you're living as if you think you're going to live tomorrow. You got to recognize, ladies and gentlemen, that you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And all the plans that you think you're going to have, all it takes is just a matter of things to happen. And the dominoes go to falling down. And then before long, all your plans you had have all become a, a difficult thing to see through because... You have the human element in those things, and the human element often falls apart. He says in the passage there in verse number 2, men shall be lovers of his own selves. That's not just queers that he's talking about there. He's talking about people love themselves. That's self-preservation. You've never lived in a more self-entitled time than you're living in right now. 
individuals walk around thanks to the Facebook stuff and the social media stuff. I had to throw it in there somewhere because some of you would be, you know, thinking I was compromising without it. But you live in a day and time where all this self-promotion is out there and look at who I am and look at how many followers I have. Don't tell me people are not lovers of them own selves right now. And some of them, they're not even sure who that self is. They're, they're unsure. You know, now it's like you're a non-gender specific. What is that? I can fix that for you. You know, you look at an animal, you know whether or not it's male or female by looking at the animal. Just go to the room by yourself and look in the mirror. You'll know what kind of... It's, it's real simple. It really is. It's male or female. It's not a, well, I don't know. Okay, well, I can tell you. I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you exactly what you are. And then it's a matter of, well, I haven't made up my mind yet. I'll make your mind up for you. That's a simple thing, you know. I'm getting in the wrong direction here. But anyway, let me just say this. You start looking at the things that are in the passage right there, and they have to do with individual sins, not the sins of nations. You have demonic teaching. Things that are going on nowadays, even out of the pulpits and things, where people are teaching you things that are not in the Bible. The demonic teaching is not just like Roman Polanski, who was the writer of a whole lot of movies back in the day. Some of you would know this, or maybe not, but you may have heard of the movie called Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby, was a star of that movie, was a lady by the name of Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate was eight and a half months pregnant, and she's 26 years old. That's two times 13. And she was visiting some friends at a big high-dollar house, and the Charles Manson family went in there. And they went in there, and they slaughtered that whole group of individuals. And the woman who starred in Rosemary's Baby had a big X cut in the middle of her stomach, and her baby was pulled out at half a, a, a year, a, excuse me, eight and a half months pregnant, had one of her breasts severed, and hanged her halfway up on the rope and kept torturing her until they eventually stabbed her 16 times, and then she was left dead. You say, well, preacher, what's the, what's the big deal about that? She was a star in a bunch of horror films, and at 26 years of age, she had her baby cut from her stomach, and then she's dead. You think it don't matter what you watch? Why'd you just get quiet there? You say, well, what is that? Well, I mean, she talked about the devil being in her stomach and that's the movie that he wrote and he happened to be out of town when she got slaughtered and I bet you that's hard. Charles Manson, by the way, is the guy that had the little cross in the middle of his head and all kind of wickedness and foolishness going on there. But demonic teaching is not just like that. It's not just like Anton LaVey, the guy that wrote the Satanic Bible, which many of you may not know was raised in a Bible-believing family. (laughs) You say, how can that happen? It can happen to anybody that gets out of fellowship with Jesus Christ. And you don't just stop midway and just go a little ways. There's no telling where that thing will stop whenever it's over with you. Say, was he saved or not saved? I couldn't tell you. He sure didn't act like he was saved. I don't know whether he was or not. I know that the testimony is he was raised in a Bible-believing family. Demonic teaching, ladies and gentlemen, is teaching that comes out of the Bible that's not in the Bible. It's things where the Bible is used to facilitate what makes people comfortable, makes them feel good, makes them get in touch with themselves. Biblical teaching is a teaching that has an edge to it, that there's something about it, not just the delivery, that seems to rub you the wrong way. If you're saved, ladies and gentlemen, you should not be going to any church service at some point in time one of the two of you schizophrenic people should be bothered. You say, why? You have two natures now that you're saved. And either your flesh is happy and the spirit is grieved or the spirit is happy and your flesh is grieved, but neither of the two are always together with the same thing. Many people that go to churches and things like that, they go and they say, I don't feel good. Okay, which one? Which one? Because the flesh is not supposed to feel good when it's confronted with what the Lord says. When those old preachers stood up, those old prophets said, Thus saith the Lord, it made people's skin crawl. When the old preachers, even after Calvary, when they got up to preach, when they started preaching, man, I mean, people would faint in the aisles and things because it bothered them. And they got, they experienced a thing called conviction. Demonic teaching doesn't allow for for conviction because the Holy Spirit is saying, you're not right with God. Demonic teaching is, is, hey, you're all good, we're all good, let's just be one big happy family. You can't be right with God and always be happy in your flesh. You learn to tolerate your flesh, but they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you understand that oftentimes people will come to your church, they'll come to our churches, and they will listen to preaching, and then they'll go out and they'll say, well, I never... 
I've never, I've never had a pastor talk to me in that tone. I've never had him get upset and bang on the pulpit or get mad or turn red in the face or get excited about going to heaven or get excited about Jesus. He needs to calm down. Which one's talking? I can assure you that's not the Spirit talking. I can assure you that's the other one that's been running you that is upset and bothered. We had a lady that came to our church one time. She was a little bitty thing, and she sat there. She was really uh, very, very nicely dressed, had on a business suit and things like that. I don't know. She was in her 60s, I guess, and she had her Bible. And, you know, they have a certain way about them when they're carrying their Bible. They, they kind of carry their Bible this way, you know, and they walk around. And, and she walked in, and she sat down and all that. And I got up there, and I preached for a little while. And I, I got, I mean, I, I mean, not, you know, just a little bit, you know, kind of wound up a little. And then, uh, but, but not... An ex- well, at least to me, not an excessive amount. I mean, I didn't jump across any pews or do anything crazy or nothing like that. I managed to keep it under a dull roar. And she came up after it was over. I was just talking to folks. And she came up and she said, Pastor, I would like to speak with you. I felt like it was like my sixth grade school teacher, you know. She's kind of like, you know, I need to speak with you. And I thought, I'm going to get to the woodshed here, you know. And I said, well, please come on back here, you know. And so she came back there and I said, would you like to have a seat? This won't take long, she said. I said, okay. I said, so I stood in front of my desk there at my office in the building we're in now. And I said, yes, ma'am, what can I do for you? She said, I would just have you know I've been going to church my whole life. I didn't fall for it because I wanted to say, was that 90 years? Or I mean, I, but I didn't, I didn't. I was just like, I said, oh, okay, well, you know. And she said, in all my years, I have never in my life heard the word hell out of the pulpit as much as I heard it today. And I said, well, thank you. I mean, I thought she was giving me a compliment. And she said, I didn't mean it that way. And I said, well, ma'am, the sermon was on hell. So, I mean, I thought that was a good thing that you were. She said, your vehemence when you're talking is offensive. And I said, okay, well, I'm sorry that you were offended And I wanted to say, and I said it in my mind about me talking about your house, but I didn't say that, but I wanted to. And she said, I'll have you to know, I'll not be back. And I said, okay, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I said, if you come back and I happen to be preaching a message on hell, I'm not going to change that. Oh, man, when I said that, she stomped. I thought she was going to break the heel off of her shoe. She stomped and she turned around and she went out the door of my office and she went to the hallway and she went this way and then she went this way and then, and then she went there. And I said, are you looking for the parking lot? At that time, we didn't have the one over here. We only had the one over there. I said, it's right out that door. And man, you could hear her stomping down that hall. You say, why? Because she came to church thinking that she was going to be solidified that, hey, I'm living good. I'm living right. I'm a perfect person and everything else. And she kind and of all things to be upset about, the message wasn't about her, it's about somebody going to hell. The whole message is about salvation. And we had people in there shouting because they weren't going to hell. And it offended her that people were glad they weren't going to burn forever. Now let me just say this to you before I get started tonight. Listen, you got to be real careful about trying to sequester somebody. When somebody gets up here to sing and they throw up an arm or they shout hallelujah, i got a deacon that steps out in the aisle. Don't be around him when he steps out he's fixing to kick a field goal. He's an old guy, and what he'll do is he'll step out there and he'll kick his leg up in the air and he'll holler hallelujah. And I got a big old black guy that sits right down here. He's big as the side of a mountain. And when he gets ready to stand up, it's like as soon as he stands up, the whole pew goes that way. And then he sits back down and sort of levels the thing back out like that. And he'll stand up and you can tell he's wanting to say something and, and he'll, just, he'll just raise a handkerchief or he'll just raise a hand and he'll sit down, man, and tears will start running down his cheeks and stuff like that. You're not going to get in the way of something that way. That's so somebody's way of them telling the Lord, Lord, I sure love you. I sure am glad for what you did. Thank you for helping me out. Here's the amazing thing to me. This is not to try to get a shout out of you. You go to a ball game, a soccer game, you go watch them play basketball or football or something like that. And if somebody jumps up and says something, nobody says anything. You come to church and if the preacher gets wound up, he needs to tone it down. I mean, he really, that's, that's just so unsophisticated. I mean, does he think I'm ignorant? Do you think the louder he yells? Well, maybe he yells because you, he thinks you're not listening to him. But sometimes you just yell because you get wound up. But can I say something to you? You go to a ball game or you're watching something on TV and you get all emotional. And then you come to church and it's like, y'all not be getting emotional in church. 
Why not? You're emotional beings. In the last days, part of that becomes lovers of self because we get more consumed with our reputation and how we appear to other people. And so guess what happens? It causes us to miss out on some things that God wants us to be a part of. And what they're trying to do now is rearrange that. In the charismatic churches, they get you all worked up emotionally with the wrong kind of music. And they turn the music into a romantic kind of a situation and they got the lights dimmed down and before long you feel more like you're sitting in a bar than you feel like you're sitting in church. Music is intended to soften the heart and prepare the ears to be able to hear the message. But the message is sometimes they need to be loud, sometimes they need to be long. But the Bible says in the last days there'll be strong delusion. I'd like to say this, here's a couple of things I don't want to do. Number one, I don't want to leave where God put me. I want to be, when God comes, I want, him to, I want to be right where He told me to be. I want to be faithful. You have a Marine here and probably several other ones that are here, but I like their slogan, Simplify, always faithful. Wherever you find Him where He's supposed to be, you'll find Him on His post. I want to be where God tells me to be, and I don't want to leave or desert that just because it's uncomfortable or it gets somewhat hard or difficult. God said to be here, and until He changes the orders... I'm going to keep doing what God told me to do. Well, preacher, you know what about this and what about that? I think I told you the other day I had the missionary that called me and told me about him having to do something in order to be able to go to the country where he was going to go. That's what God told you to do. Follow the orders. The orders haven't changed. The orders are still the same. We're supposed to keep doing what we've been doing. Just because the economy's changing, just because we're at war, just because there's been some sort of bug that's gone around, some sort of flu thing that happened, or whatever the deal was, it was the, the vid thing or whatever, the little thing that runs around looks like a ball with pimples on it or whatever. What, what, whatever all went around. The Lord didn't know where, at least not for me, He didn't change my orders. He didn't say stop preaching, run for the high country. He didn't say go hide in your house somewhere. He didn't say close the door, pull down the shades, oh, make sure you get a mask, get you a rubber hazmat suit, walk around, don't breathe on anybody, don't let anybody breathe on you. Make sure you protect yourself, make sure you protect yours and all that. He never said any of that. I think somewhere along the line we forgot the pioneering spirit but also the spirit of combat. I don't want to be like David and trade comfort when I ought to be at combat. I don't want to be sitting at the house when everybody else is out fighting and they're trying to get something done and I'm going, well, you know, I'm just trying to use my head, you know, and all that. No, you're a coward. That's what that is. And then I wind up in the house dying in my bed when I could have died doing something for Jesus. I don't intend to offend you. I'm just speaking for myself. I don't want to take the well-watered plains or might I say this, I don't want to take a money or a career over what God wants me to do. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot looks over there and he says, boy, that looks like a good place to raise cows. I don't want to ever choose the love of money over what God wants me to do. I don't want to ever want to be doing it for money. I'd also like to say, especially as you that are preachers here, I don't ever want to have God's hand leave me and me not be aware of it. Amen. That's what happened to Samson. Remember Samson? Come over to the book of John, if you would, please. The book of, the book of John. Remember Samson? He goes out there and he gets ready to, to uh, fight off the Philistines that final time, laying there in the bosom of iniquity. And remember when he goes out there that he says uh, to Delilah, don't worry, I got it. And the Bible says one of the strangest, one of the scariest things in the world, that he wist not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. That meant that he's living in his life. And you know two things I see in that passage, ladies and gentlemen? I see, number one, he thought that no matter how he lived, that God would always be there. Have you ever been that way? Amen. Have, you ever, have you ever been doing something and you knew it was wrong and, and you still did it and then God still blessed you in spite of your wickedness and your foolishness and you first John 1, 9 did it and then it almost became habitual. It's like, well... I know I shouldn't be doing this, but God's not removing. That's charismatic theology. The charismatic theology believes that their healing is in the atonement, and they believe also their gift is in that atonement. So if they could lose their healing or they lose their gift, then they lost their salvation. Well, your salvation is there, but the, the, the healing that's there doesn't come until we're gone. You don't get complete healing. You don't get a new body until you get uh, the rapture. After the rapture takes place, you get your new body. But until then, guess what? You're stuck with the old rag you got on. But you know what happens with Christians? 
God's so good to us and so merciful that we get right with the Lord and we get our fellowship back with the Lord and then we don't feel that the power's gone. What had happened with Samson was is he knew he was doing stuff he should not be doing and guess what he did? He went back out and he thought, you know, God's always continuing. And then one day God said, not no more. I'm done. And he went out there and the Bible said he wished not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. I'd like to say, fourth of all, just some things I don't want to do. I don't ever want to think I know more than God does. Have you ever done that? I know you probably haven't. I have. God tells me one thing and I'm like, well, Lord, you know, if you could see it from my perspective. <laughs> you know, if you could understand the situation I'm in, you might, you might have a little more feeling for whatever it is. You know, sometimes picking the guy or picking the girl... I'm glad he picked her for me and blinded her till she married me and then locked her down. Now she's married and gave her eyesight back. And she's like, what am I supposed to do with this? The Lord said, here, you fix it. <laughs> you know, taking her 40 years, she still hasn't got me fixed. But listen to me. Here's the thing that happens. You remember what Peter said? He said, you're going to deny me. Remember the story? You know what the Lord said? I mean, you know what Peter said? Never happened, Lord. Amen. He just called the Lord. The creator of the universe, he called him a liar. He said, no, it won't. And he said, yes, it will, Peter. And Peter spoke the more vehemently. He said, no, everybody else will, but not me. And he said, before the night's over with, Peter's like, it never happened. I don't want to ever get to a point in my life where I think I know more than God does about what's best for me. Have you ever questioned God when something happens to you? You ever say, why, Lord? Why'd you do this to me, Lord? Isn't that kind of saying, Lord, uh, I think I know better than you. I think you should have given me that and not this. I think you should have let this happen and not let that happen. Isn't that kind of one of those Peter moments in our lives where we say, now, Lord, wait a minute. You gave me more than I could bear. But the message is a happy message tonight. <laughs> there's not only some things I don't want to do, there's some things I don't want to miss. I'll start off by saying if you're going to take notes, you're certainly welcome to do so. There's just a few of them that are in here, but I don't want to miss the God's services and God's house. Amen. I like church. Amen. In John chapter number 20, I just turned there for just a brief few minutes. I'm not going to dwell in long there, but they're having up there in the upper room and the Lord comes through the wall and there's somebody noticeably absent. Toward the end of the passage right there, you find out that he shows up there and he gives them a special touch. He has a special invitation with them. He spends some time uh, explaining some things to them. And there was somebody noticeably absent. His name was Thomas. He wasn't there for the preaching service. He missed it. He wasn't there for the unveiling of the direction that they were supposed to go. He wasn't there for the supernatural power and the reassurance of the Lord had died for them and their sins were forgiven. He missed all the things that came with the church service. Here's the unusual thing. Most of us are very much like Thomas because when it comes to church, it's something we do as a matter of convenience. And we think that every time we do show up, when it fits in our daytimer, we think, well, the Lord should show up when we're there. Our job is to be here when He shows up, not, hey, every time we show up, He's supposed to show up. We kind of get that messed up. But I'm thinking to myself in my life, the majority of times where God has done something supernatural in my life, it has been in a church service. Yes, there's been times in my car. Yes, there's been times in my office. Yes, there's been times in other places. But the majority of times it has been in a church service, whether at my church or in someone else's church or in a meeting like this where I have heard a sermon and that sermon has stuck with me now for well over 40 years, changed my life, changed the direction of my life, changed the calling on my life, gave me reassurance about what I was supposed to do, gave me direction. And I think, man, what would have happened if I had missed that church service? I'm not just talking about the great meetings like I told you about when the Dr. Ruckman was preaching at the prison of time in Madison and it got so good in there, man. I mean, it just was beyond description. Never been in a meeting like that in my life ever. Who would have ever thought in church on a, on a Tuesday night in a prison cell after a huge monumental thunderstorm came through and God showed up in a prison cell and I've never been in a meeting like that in my life. Preacher preached a message I've heard at least a hundred times. 
But I saw a manifestation of God in that place. That thing ran out for about three days. We were done with the church service, and you'd have thought I was on crack or something, man. I mean, I just, I mean, it was like being, and I said, Preacher, what in the world was that? And he said, That'll be what heaven would be like. He just lets you see about a second of it right there. I said, if he showed me two seconds, I'd have died on the pew. I couldn't have stood anymore. I couldn't have, I can't even explain it to you. See, I, you weren't there, and I'm trying to tell you what it was like, but I, but I can't find the words. I understand when Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven, and paradise was there, and I beheld such great things, and I, well, I ain't even going to try. I couldn't say it anyway. Why? Because there's not words to be able to describe. But I think to myself, man, what would have happened had I missed that service? I remember my wife and I were struggling. I was trying to get away from where I was going and trying to make some decisions. Am I going to stay and get the pension and this and that and the other and how many days and vacation days and how can I work it and how soon can I get away? They didn't have drop plans and all the stuff in my day and I'm trying to decide what's going on. We go to a meeting. Of all things, we go to a church meeting. I mean, isn't that crazy? I mean, I'm looking for direction about a decision that's going to affect my income and all my decisions in my career and my life and all these other kinds. I mean, I'm, I am literally in a straight betwixt... We go to a church meeting. And the preacher gets up and, you know, they have the singing and stuff like that up there in Carolina. It's singing. They have the singing and they get done with the singing and all that kind of a deal. I'm sitting right over here to the side of here where Miss Amy's sitting and we're watching and the preacher's up there drawing. And of all the messages he uh, preaches that night, he preaches a parting of the ways. And it's a message that has to do with Oprah, not Oprah. Oprah saying, you know, I'm going to stay here and you guys go ahead and go. And remember, the mama comes back and uh, Mara comes back. I mean, um, um, Naomi comes back. Isn't that her name? She's her name, Mara. Call me bitter. Yeah, Naomi comes back and Ruth comes back and, and they say goodbye and they, they part ways and that kind of thing. And man, that thing hit me like an atom bomb right in my chest, right between my stinking, just blew my heart out of my chest. And... I couldn't take it anymore, man. I'm down at the altar down there in what they call the gymnatorium. And I'm over there where they pulled those bleachers out to make an altar. I made an altar out of those bleachers right there. And I got down. Man, I was bawling and squalling and slinging snot and doing all kind of other things. And I'm sitting there praying and I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do? What's going to happen with her? Because I know what I'm supposed to do. And oh, man, this is going to be bad. You're going to go from here to here really quick. And it's not going to be good. And this is really scary and all. But I knew what I was supposed to do. Do I knew what I was supposed to do. And I get up and I go back to the pew and she's not there. And I thought, she's already left me. She's deserted me. She's going to divorce me. She's like, it's, she's done. And I turn around and I look and here she comes. She's been down here. The altar was filled up now and she's coming down this way. She looked like, now don't, don't take this the wrong way. She looked like a raccoon. Her makeup was running. They didn't have this waterless stuff. Now look, if you don't want paint on your barn, that's your business. If you think it's spiritual... I don't care. My eyes are getting bad. I like to see her with a little paint. Not painted like a possum at pokeberry time. You know, it's amazing to me, you fellows, you paint your house and you paint your cars and you paint your walls, you paint your garage, and you might want to... Just saying. <laughs> anyway, here she comes. And she's crying and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I hugged her and now we look like two crackheads, you know, we're sitting, crying together and all that kind of stuff. And the old preacher's just looking at me. Like he knew what was going on, but, you know, we didn't know. You say, what was it? I was at church and I heard a sermon and it literally changed my life. I got an answer for my problem. I'd been praying. I'd been fasting, if you can imagine that, more than just the 20 minutes between church and McDonald's. I mean, I had been fasting and praying. I'm looking. And of all places, it happened in a church service. There have been times in my life where God has dealt with me about things, even bitterness. Remember when my dad died. He was only 64 years old, very young. Had been in really good health for a long period of time. And they gave him some bad blood and stuff. And he had his heart bypass surgery. And it had hepatitis C in it. And it caused him to begin to deteriorate on the inside. And it ate up his liver. And I remember when he died, I was thinking, Wow, you know, Lord, after all he gave up for you. And I was bitter about it. And I was at a meeting one time down south of me there and I was supposed to preach and the Lord wasn't letting me preach. And man, I was bitter. It would have been not good for me to preach. It would have just sounded like vomit coming out of the pulpit because I was just bitter. 
maybe a little worse than this one is right now. But, but at any rate, I, I, I was bitter. And then this guy gets up and he's preaching on a morning service. And it was drier than cracker juice. I don't even know what the guy was saying. And he was going on and going on and he was just droning on, man. And I'm just thinking. And all of a sudden the Lord sat down by me and he said, how you doing? Not audibly. And I said, uh, well, I'm all right. He said, really? You don't seem all right. And I said, well, uh, you want to talk about it? He said, yeah, I'll meet you down front. You know, the first thing that hit me, Lord, if I go down front, these people are going to think I'm responding to that kind of preaching. And I just really don't. I'm just being honest with you. I know you'd never be that way. You never wouldn't come to an altar, even though God spoke to you, just because you didn't like the preacher. But I wasn't going. And the Lord said, I'll meet you down there. Well, I got up and I went down there and it's amazing. I got about the third row down and the next thing I know, I forgot all about people and everything else. And I got down there in that church. They had old-fashioned mourner's benches. We got out there at that old morning bench and I got down there and the Lord said, what's eating you? And I said, well, my daddy. And he said, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So what did he say? That's, that's what he said. What did he say after that? Nothing. I said, you want me to thank you for taking my dad? He said, all things work together for good of them, love God, them, the called according to his purpose. I felt like I was going to betray my dad by saying, thank you for taking my dad. That's what he said to do. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I was in a church service. It was a monumental turning point in my life. You say, what happened? I said, all right. Thank you, Lord. You know what's best, and I accept that you know what's best, and I can tell you I don't like it, but I'm thanking you for doing that, and I'm going to trust you that you know what's doing. I still to this day don't know all the reasons behind why I allowed my dad to go at that age and so on and so forth. I can't tell till I get to the other side, but I know this. I know in a church service, I was sitting there, and even the preaching was dry, and the singing was something in left field like UFO aliens had landed and were singing. I mean, none of it was in harmony. Nothing made any sense. The songs I didn't even know... It was just a bunch of show ponies up there prancing around. And yet the Lord came down in a church service and met me right where I was and brought me down to an altar, sat me down, had a conversation with me. And that is one of the pivotal moments in my life. You say, why? Because I don't want to miss church services. I'll say this. I don't want to miss the rapture. Now, I know I'm saved. If you're not saved, you're an idiot. This is my last night tonight, so you can get mad at him, but, but, but you're, you're a fool. If you're in church on a Thursday night, you know you need something. And if you're here and you're not saved, you're a fool. You say, why? You're assuming you got tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. And the older you are, the more at risk you are. But this isn't for saved people. I don't want to miss the rapture. I don't want to be in a situation that when the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't want to miss that opportunity. I don't want to be, I should say, I don't want to be caught dead doing what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do when the Lord blows the horn. I believe you're either going to die or you're going to get raptured out. And if the Lord tarries, every one of us in this building are going to have a meeting with death. Every single one of us. There ain't nobody in here going to live forever. You know what I want to do? I want to be prepared for it if it happens tonight or if it happens 10 years from now. I don't want to miss that opportunity. I'd like to be alive and have him come. I'd rather not go the other way. But if he sees fit to have me go that. But I think it'd be cool to be one of those few that are left at the end that the Lord comes down and says, come up hither. Imagine the bragging rights of that up in heaven for the rest of the kind Oh, you died? <laughs> well, sorry, I can't talk yet. Oh, you died? Yeah. You get caught up in the rapture? Hey, that was cool, right? You know, I mean, we didn't die. We don't know what that's like. We're kind of like Enoch right here. And Enoch's like, yeah, but I never walked around. I walked with God and I was not. I'd, I never walked around and thought I was special. Okay, Enoch, you just weigh it over there because we're, we're special. <laughs> I want to be prepared for something more than my retirement in a stinking nursing home. Amen. 
I want to be prepared for something to just have all my bills paid and be comfortable and those kind of things. I mean, I want to go out with my hair on fire and my hind end catching. I want to go out doing something for the Lord so that if the Lord catches me mid-stride, He's like, man, the only way I could slow you down was to blow the horn and get you out of here because it's like you'll never stop. I don't find retirement in the Bible. You may retire from working and you may retire from years of spending your life doing those kinds of things. But can I say this to you? There's nothing about retirement. There's something you can always do for the Lord. I just wonder at what point you're going to get off your dead behind and do it. You've been sitting in church and sitting in church and sitting in church, reading your Bible and praying. And you hear the same sermons all the time about read your Bible and praying. And you're fueled up and the machine has got plenty of fuel. But you're not doing anything. Why not? There's so much to be done. And all the time in churches, we're always looking for more people to, to be able to do things. Well, I can't. Now the excuse for everything is COVID. Well, I'd like to, but COVID. But COVID what? It didn't make you not walk. It doesn't make your hands not work. I mean, can you hold a baby in the name of Jesus? Could you work in the nursery? Can you push a mop? I mean, you don't have to have a whole lot of intellect to be able to work a shovel. Really, there's things that need to be dug out. There's toilets that need to be swabbed. I know, don't we pay somebody for that? I mean, that's why I give money. But at what point is it that you just keep soaking it in and soaking it in and soaking it in and you don't put it out? You know what happens when nothing goes out? The water becomes bitter. And the reason some Christians are bitter is is because they become pew sitters. And they're sponges and they just soak it up and they just soak it up. But folks, if you never squeeze out that sponge, you ladies know how that thing smells. Amen. I mean, I hate to say this and I'm getting old enough where I think I can say it and some of you older people are going to probably get upset at me. But older people, when they start getting older, they get more infantile. They, they get more selfish. They get more self-centered. They get more bitter. They get persnickety. They, they just, they're just like... Oh boy, I'm not on a good subject right now. <laughs> and, and it becomes about them and what are you doing for me and why aren't you taking care of me? And, and I'm thinking maybe it's because you never took care of anybody all the time you were around and now that you've gotten old, you're reaping what you sowed. I wonder if maybe you spent some time ministering to others that when you got older, somebody might minister to you. I just wonder if maybe it's possible that it may not be that that chicken came home to roost. I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings. I'm just saying, listen, if time is short, I read the article today, many Christians say that this is the apocalypse. I'm thinking, what Bible are they reading? Like the living Bible? What, what, where, where are they getting that from? That's not in the Bible. This is not the apocalypse. The apocalypse isn't in the United States or in just the Ukraine. It's worldwide. And there is a worldwide leader. And it's not Putin. It must be him. He's the Antichrist. The Bible says the whole world wonders after him. The whole world worships him. Right now, he's not everybody's fave list. They're not the BFF on their Facebook page. No, but he's got all the earmarks of the Antichrist. No, he doesn't. He's not even persecuting Jewish people. He's persecuting everybody that's sitting in a piece of land he wants. But preacher, don't you think? I don't know, but let's just say for a moment, let's just say for a moment, what if it is? What if it is the beginning of the end? Are you going to go out like this? Hadn't passed out a track? Hadn't witnessed anybody? Haven't stood up and given a testimony for Jesus Christ? Haven't been faithful to the church? Haven't you, that, that's how you want to go out? They're, they're, they're moving in on you and you're going to go out by, well... You know, I just believe in passive resistance. My foot, not me. Man, I want to. I mean, I want to go out. Let's let her rip tater chip. That guy's an absolute idiot. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen? For years, I was a policeman. Some of you know that. And you know what? I made up my mind when I did that. When I was only nineteen. When I when I when I made up my mind to do that. I was a reserve officer for two years before that. But can I tell you this? I knew, and I was told repeatedly. You know, you can die doing this. And you know what I said? I'm willing to do that. I mean, I was young and stupid. I didn't think it would ever happen to me. But I was like, okay, well, if that happens, you know. And then a couple of my friends did get killed. 
and it got kind of real, but it didn't change my career path. I was willing to lay my life down for the benefit of somebody that I didn't even know. And now I'm a preacher and it's like, well, you know, you better be careful. Better be careful. You mean I'm willing to give up my life for something physical, but I won't give up my life for something spiritual? Where's the sense in that? Where is this conservative idea that my Christianity has to be something that I find out, you know, well, how do you feel about this? Are you good? Are we on the same team? Winking and nod, a little fist bump. Oh, okay, I can openly discuss it with you. Well, why? I took risks before with strangers. I'd like to say this. I don't want to miss services. I don't want to miss the shout. I'd like to say, if I could, if you take your Bible and turn, you can just kind of follow with me along the way. As a matter of fact, it might just be better, but go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. I'd like to be prepared for the judgment seat. You say, why do you want to be prepared for the judgment seat? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. The Bible says that every man's work will be tried of what sort it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, he said every man's work will be tried whether it be good or bad. And everyone will give an account. You can't be prepared for the judgment seat if you're not already thinking about it now. I don't want to miss the opportunity to have the Lord himself recognize that I did something for someone other than me. The judgment seat of Christ is something to be feared. I understand that. But to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, it should be something more than fear that motivates you to serve your Savior. It should be something that is akin to a love that is beyond words for you to be able to say, first of all, He gives me an opportunity to do something for Him, and then He gives me the ability to do it, and then He rewards me as if I'm the one that did it when all I'm doing is is letting Him use me like a puppet to get it done. So it's really Him that did it. It wasn't me in the first place. So if anything gets done, it wasn't really me doing it. But he like wants to reward me so badly. He said, listen, if you'll be willing, I'll enable you to do whatever I need to be done. But understand this, it's really not you, it's me. But if you'll let me use you, you know what I'll do? I'll reward you as if you were the one that did it. And as bad as I teach and believe that you ought to be afraid at the judgment seat of Christ because of you getting up there and being like, Esau, who sought repentance carefully with tears and could find no place. There'll be no no do-overs. I think every one of us will get up there and it'll be real. And for a moment, we will be elated beyond words. Can you imagine what that's like? You step up there into glory and you got golden streets in front of you. And gates of pearl and walls of jasper. I mean, can you imagine whatever pain you're feeling right now, whether it's emotional or physical, it's gone Can you imagine that your image and how you look up there, the things that have bothered you so bad, it's all been taken care of. You have His image and now you're at the judgment seat of Christ and that moment of elation all of a sudden turns to, oh man, Uh, Lord, could I go back now that I've seen the other side? Lord said, no, you walk by faith, not by sight. Come on up here and Put it in the fire. Lord, I could I could I listen, I see now how real this is. And I, I realize I've been living my life like Esau for what I can get out of it. I the life you gave me, I used for me instead of for you. Could I go back? I believe tears will flow. The tears aren't wiped away until after the great white throne. I believe many of us Christians will be crying, saying, Boy, Lord, I I sure wish I'd have done something. Some Christians will say, Lord, I wish I had done more. It'll be so real then. And you'll look at the eyes of your Savior. And you'll see Him as He stretches and His hands come out from under His robes. And you see the holes in His hands and the holes in His feet. You'll probably reach up to scratch His side over here. And you'll see where there was a wound in His side where His heart was pierced. And then you'll look at yourself and go, well... What did I do? One of my favorite stories in the Bible, I think it's one of the Lord's favorite stories, is about a woman, we've preached on it here before, with an alabaster box. And more than just the monument he made, you know what he made the monument for? Because he didn't expect her to do great and marvelous things. 
He just expected her to do what she could do. The secret to the judgment seat of Christ is, is just obedience. It's that simple. Do what God tells you to do. That's it. It's not a race where you're comparing yourself to somebody else and, well, I'm not a preacher and I'm not a singer and I don't have the talent of these people and I can't do this and I can't do this. It's, it's not about that at all. The Lord said, just can you do what you can? That's all. It's, it's, there's not a pressure to perform above your level. And some people will get up there and they'll say, man, I bet they're going to really get loaded up. And the Lord's like, put it in the fire. And you're going to go, why is all that burning up? And the Lord said, because he didn't use any of the abilities I gave him. That was just a parlor trick. The secret is just obedience. And after the judgment seat of Christ... Since I'm using Al, uh, so I'd like to think about the saints that will be gathered in that place. You know, church is a great place to meet saints. You're all saints, by the way. You may not live like it, but the Bible says you're all saints. I've met some of the greatest people in the world, some of the, the best men I have ever met with the courage of a lion. And some of them have been former military, and some of them never fired a shot in their life. And some of them are preachers, and some of them are just prayers. Some of them are just pew sitters, but they're faithful as they can possibly be. And they've been in churches for 50 and 60 and 70 years. And they do everything they can possibly do in a quiet way. And they live and then they die. I have met some of the greatest saints, Miss Penny and Herbie. And I met the lady that went underneath the pews. And my dad told me about, I'll get to meet her. I'll get to meet the people that were willing to sacrifice. Because I actually like the saints. I realize the saints can be devils. Some of you have been around them. You know that can be true. But there's devils at Walmart. You come to church and it's just people having a bad day. Well, guess what? They're at the hospital. They need some help. You know, if you go to a hospital very much at all, and you see individuals come in there, no matter what their state in life or their stages in life, well, you can't help but have empathy for them when they're sick and their hair's matted down to their head, they're sweating, they got a fever, or they've been in a bad accident. You don't immediately start saying, you know, where do you live and how much money do you have and do you have insurance and all that. You just want to help them. Well, sometimes some of the saints come in and they're bitter and they're bound and they're broken. They're, they're just having a hard time. Well, where do you want them to go? To the charismatic church? The Catholic Church, Church of Christ, they come in here because they need something. You know what we should do? We're glad to have you. Not, where you been? About time you showed up. We've been in the tribulation around here. Preacher's been on a tear about something. God knows what now. Welcome, glad you're here. Hope you can endure to the end. You'll be saved. They come in, they are whacked out. They are messed up as a soup sandwich. But if you would start seeing the church like a hospital and realize two things. Number one, if you're not in the hospital, it doesn't mean that you may not need the hospital one day. We had a hospital in the area where we rode and really in all long-term care, not a good place to be. You could have post-surgery care in that place get an infection and die. This is before COVID and all the other kind of stuff. But when it came to trauma surgery, if you got cut or you got shot or you were in a bad accident, that is where you wanted to go because they worked on those people all the time. You wanted to go. All of us had a deal with them. Bring me here, fix me, and then get me out of here. Take me to another hospital for recuperation, but to be put back together. But you know what was interesting? Whenever we would go there, taking the people that were there, whether they were suspects or they were injured or whatever it might be, we were always real careful to treat the nurses and doctors carefully because we knew that the day may come when we're on the gurney and they were in there getting the knife out of us or the bullet out of us. And a lot of my friends went there and came out. A lot of them went there and they never came out. But can I say this to you? Hospitals, just because you walk in to visit somebody doesn't mean you'll never be the patient. Sometimes in the Christian life, we sort of take for granted the saints. The saints are good. They still take care of us. Everything I have, the saints got. That's hard for a proud guy. Amen. I earn my living. Make my own money. And the Lord goes, I'm going to fix that. Amen. <laughs> you're going to be poor and indigent, and you're going to have to let other people take care of you. Who? See, y'all are like, yeah, I, I get that. It's no problem. Not, I, I had a hard time with that. 
Can I say this? That the saints, really, for every bad saint, you'll find ten good ones. But I'd like to also say I, I want to go to heaven to see the Savior. Amen. Amen. I'm looking forward to the day, not just the beauty of the place, but you know what makes the place so perfect? It's the person. And too often we focus more on the path than we do the person. I was talking to some girls today at lunchtime and was just talking about how sometimes we as Christians, especially independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, street-preaching, King James-only Bible believers, and I'm all for everything I just said, but sometimes we focus so much on trying to be different than everybody else down here. We don't recognize we're still on a carnal level instead of just focusing on the Lord and elevating ourselves to Him, which creates natural separation. I don't have to try to work at separating from other people if all I do is just separate unto the Lord and I just keep looking to Him and I keep walking with Him and talking with Him. It produces a natural distance that's there and I don't have to be a jerk to do it. Point out people that aren't like me anyway and that I don't like anyway and then have them, you know, because I put them aside because they got cooties. No, I'm just walking with the Lord. And the next thing you know, you know what happens, a distance begins to be there. But I can't imagine what it would be like to meet him face to face. I've thought about it. I don't think he'll be 900 feet tall. I think when I see him, he'll be the size of a man. And if I know him, this is how I have it in my mind. When I meet him, it'll be a face-to-face meeting, not off at a distance and high and elevated up. That has to do with the worship service. You know what I think it'll be? I think you're going to have a personal meeting with Jesus. I've thought about that. I've thought about what it would be like for me to not just be awed by the splendor of the place, but then all of a sudden to see Him and the splendor of the place just dims in comparison. And then I recognize that's the creator of every molecule and every atom, every proton, every electron, every neutron, every star that was named by Him. Everything that He did, He just like one day just spoke the stars into existence. It's like you go and they're there and... And and now I'm looking at him, and he walks up, and he calls me by name. Makes me feel special. He's the one that deserves the worship because I'm there because of him, right? And he's glad to see me. I'll look like the prodigal coming home. The first thing I think I'm going to want to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I think before I can get all of that stuff out, you know what I think he's going to do? I think he's going to hug me, and I think he's going to say to me, welcome home. Amen. And about that time, a servant will come running up, and he'll say, give him some shoes, and give him a robe, and put a ring on his finger, so everybody now knows he's mine, and he's home for good, and he ain't ever leaving again. But I've thought about that. I've thought about what a blessing. You know what I've tried to do here recently, more recently, I should have done it a long time ago, was to make it more about him than me, yes, but also to make it more about seeing him than seeing what he has for me. I've done a lot of funerals lately. I'm sure you've done the same thing. And, you know, you try to comfort people by telling them about the place. But telling them about the place, if you've had a loss like that, that just doesn't really do much for them, but you can see all of a sudden things change when you tell them about the person. Can you imagine being loved like you've never been loved before? The kind of love that makes you feel like you're wanted. The kind of love that makes you feel safe and secure. The kind of love that overlooks every flaw and every sin and everything you've ever done. The kind of love that you know you can trust that will never leave you and that will never forsake you. Can you imagine what that will be like to meet the person like that? I'd like to say also, this is a little bit of maybe my paramilitary background. I, I don't want to miss the saddle or the seat or whatever you want to call it, but I look forward after that meeting of sitting down for the supper and in the interest of time we're running out. I was going to talk about supper. I have a confession to make. Last night I denied or declined a a giant big-as-my-head cinnamon roll about that big. Seriously, I'm not stretching. It's about that big. And I said, no, I'll be okay. My wife got it for me. She put it in her purse, and she brought it home. 
And I got home and I said, did you get that cinnamon roll? And she said, I, I did. And I said, you know, you shouldn't have done that. Where is it? <laughs> and she said, honey, I, I have to leave in the morning. I got something for the ladies down at the church. And so I thought, you know, you could have it for breakfast. I said, honey, it feels like breakfast time right now. I think it's morning. <laughs> Keto went right out the window. Diet went right out the window. I got some duct tape, and I just taped half of it here and half of it here, and I enjoyed every... I thought I had manna from heaven. I was like, I took a bite. I'm like, babe, we're in heaven. This is, this is it. But can I just say this about the supper? You know what makes supper great? It's who you're sitting with. Amen. Used to when I first came here. This is not to put pressure on you. A lot of times because my wife was sick and she couldn't travel when I would come up here Miss Beth would make Thanksgiving dinner and Elizabeth would make biscuits and everybody would make different things and y'all didn't know nothing about maple syrup and I introduced them to that delicacy from the south and, and, and we used to come there and we had Thanksgiving dinner every year in the summertime you say what a dumb thing it wasn't that the turkey and the dressing was so great. It was. It wasn't that all the desserts weren't great. They were. The hors d'oeuvres and all the stuff. We all out there and looked like stuffed turkeys when we got up from there. Or stuffed peacocks. <laughs> <laughs> it was the fellowship around the table. Amen. I'm sitting there tonight and I'm looking at the ones that used to be years ago little. And sit at that table. They're married now and they got kids. Grown up and they're still in church. And not able to gather. There's not a room big enough anymore. What a great problem to have because the family's expanded. It's the same way at the church. You know, one of the reasons I don't want to miss the supper is not just because of the lobster and the steak and the key lime pie and the cinnamon rolls and the ice cream and all that. It's the one seated at the head of the table. Amen. Now, I don't know how he's going to do it. But he's going to make it feel like we're all sitting there with just him. And there'll be a unity that'll be there that is beyond words. Won't that be a blessing to be seated at the table and not to have any discord and not to have who died this past year you ever been to a family reunion and you look at the roll call and it's like, man, I was sitting there today, I got a, a letter from the police organization and stuff like that and it's, it's called the final roll call. And I'm going through that list and I'm going, well, babe, <laughs> I'm looking at all these guys over half that list or guys that were there when I was there. They're gone now. They won't be at the dinner table. And some of them are saved and I'll see them again and some of them I'll see them at the great white throne. And I'll have to watch them get pitched off into the lake of fire. But boy, won't it be a blessing to sit down at the supper table with Jesus. I'm going to tell you now, I'm, I'll fight you over the wash basin. I'm not going to get up there and be worried about whether or not I'm worried about washing your feet. I'm going to be over there saying, could I wash your feet? And the Lord say, you don't have to have your feet washed. You're clean up here and all that. Yeah, but Lord, I'm no different than those apostles that sat down at the supper table. And because they didn't want to wash each other's feet, they wouldn't wash your feet. I want to sit down at the supper table with him and have the best fellowship I've ever had. Amen. And to be able to have connection and know other people as they're known. And then get up from that table. And the Lord said, let's go for a ride. It ain't going to be a bike ride. Or a unicycle. And you walk down through a big, long, beautiful meadow there. Butterflies dance across the buttercups. 
beautiful springtime in the afternoon, boy, just the perfect temperature, no humidity, no insects. You're walking down there, your belly is full, your heart's fuller. Boy, you're just having the time of your life, and off in the distance you see that stable over there looks like some kind of a castle. The Lord leads the way, and you walk into that stable, and there's your horses. And the Lord said, I've done all this for you, and you're finally going to get to see me get what I paid for 2,000-something years ago. And we saddle up, and we step off the edge of the universe, and we leave the splendors of glory, and we start down through the universe. No spacesuit, no rocket, no UFO, no need for worrying about breathing air and stuff. You're supernatural. You're conformed to his image, and you're riding on a supernatural beast. You're literally riding a horse. It's not a put-on. It's the real deal. You burst through the atmosphere. The thing's running like a flying wedge that's coming in this direction and spread out as far as the eye can see. And we don't have our light, we have his light. We're just reflecting him. And he's like a big halogen light in the beginning of that thing. And everybody on the earth looks up and sees him coming. And the devil gathers his troops together down there in Megiddo. The battle of Armageddon is about to transpire, but... You'll have the confidence and assurance of knowing who's going to win that fight. I don't want to miss that. I want to be a part of that. See, preacher, where does that start? It starts now. If you'll be faithful to do what God would have you to do, you know what will happen? Everything I've just said to you will lead to the day that you and I will be together. And we'll be behind the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll watch him come down and we'll be a part of the battle of Armageddon. He'll finish up that battle and he'll take that big horse of his and he'll just rein him over this way and that horse will turn around and rear up and you'll see that blood coming off of that horse and coming off of his dyed garments from Bozrah. You'll see that sword glistening with his enemy's blood on it. You know what you're going to say? That's my Savior. That's my Savior. And you'll be glad you were on the right side. Now I'm going to say this and I'm going to close. That's what you have to have in your mind every day. Or you're going to have a difficult, day, difficult time making it through the day. You lose your direction. If you don't think way out there in the distance and go, wait a minute. There's going to be a day when everything's going to be fixed. And everything's going to be right. And everything's going to be correct. Last night, we walked around in some pretty hard, pretty rough stuff. You say, what's the best way out of it, preacher? Keep your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. The end's coming, ladies and gentlemen, sooner than you might think. And when it does, if you're saved, you're on the right side. And if you keep your eyes on that, you have a better chance of making it through until he comes to get us. Father, I pray you might help us tonight. To not want to do some things, but also not want to miss some things. And pray, Lord, that we'll not just be prepared with the services and those kinds of things, but, Lord, we'll be ready to meet you, the Savior. Lord, I know your people are struggling right now, and I know your people, and I'm not mocking or making fun of, I know they're scared, Lord. They're uncertain. They're unsure. Many of them haven't ever been through difficulties and conflict. Many of them are on fixed incomes and they're concerned about the high prices of gasoline and meat and eggs and butter and bread and all those things, Lord. I know that it's a, it's a realistic fear. It's a sincerity of their heart that they're actually afraid. I pray, Lord, that you'll comfort them as only you can. Pray you'll be with them as only you can. God, help all of us to get refocused on you and where it is we're headed and what it is we're supposed to do while we're here. Pray, God, you'll bless this church and these people who have been so faithful over these last four days to continue to come to all these services. I pray, Lord, that some of them will make decisions now to, to get in and to stay in and to lock down and do what you'd have them to do until the day that you see fit to come get us. Bless Brother Mike and his wife, his family, and all these folks that are at this church. Whether it's the last time I ever see them again or not, Lord, I pray you'll keep them strong 
until we meet in the air. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.